welcome to the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Summers, a licensed therapist and birth trauma survivor. This is a space where we talk about what it means to experience trauma during a time that we expected to be one of the best of our lives. This stuff is dark and it's messy, but we're here to shine a light on it. We're here to hold your hand as you walk through the darkness. We're here to show you that the light exists and we're going to help you find it. So wherever you are, take a deep breath, settle in, and let's do this. Welcome to the Listener Story Series on the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. We created this series as a space where we get to hold and honor so many of the equally beautiful and devastating stories from those in our community. We hope that these stories will provide comfort and connection in what can be such an isolating and lonely time. As always, please take care of yourselves and go gently whenever you choose to listen. And a reminder that you can always find an outline of the episode in the show notes if you want to decide on the content before diving in. On this week's episode of the Listener Story Series, we are going to hear from Tracy in a special two-part episode series. So today you will hear part one of Tracy's birth story. Um, And next week, please don't forget to tune in to hear the second part of Tracy's birth story. Hey, Tracy. Welcome to the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and share your story. I should say like parts of your story because there's no way to share an entire story in this amount of time, but I'm I'm really grateful um, that you're willing to come on and, and help support others who are going through similar experiences. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm a longtime supporter of you and your page and I'm excited to be here. I know. I feel like we connected so long, like the early, I would say like the early days, like three years ago, like I just adore your page and everything that you put out there too. So it's like a I love these ones because I'm like, oh, we're finally connecting after years of like yeah. random DMs <laughs> here and there and like, oh, I hope yeah. you're well. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So thank you again. Um, let's let's go ahead and dive in. What um, what did your birth story look like starting kind of with like maybe pregnancy, trying to conceive? Yeah. Where did your story start, I should say? Yeah. So I have a kind of a complex history here, so we'll get into it. Um, so really started with my first pregnancy, um, which took me almost a year to conceive. So it was kind of like on that cusp of will I be in that infertility category or not? And then sort of that last month before that referral, like really like, okay, here we go. Um, I got pregnant. And just that pregnancy from the start was like incredibly traumatic, even just in the way that I learned I was pregnant. And so what happened was I had to have emergency kidney surgery and I had been trying to get pregnant. So they wanted to run all of these diagnostics and I was really nervous about x-rays and CT scans and everything. And so I had taken actually five pregnancy tests, all were negative. And so leading up to all of those tests and the surgery, I was like, okay, I'm not pregnant. I mean, I literally took one walking into the surgery. (laughs) And came back not pregnant. And so I had the surgery. I have um, a terrible response to the surgery in which I was hospitalized for a really bad kidney infection. And so in the ER postoperatively, they tell me that I'm pregnant. 
<laughs> so of course gosh. I'm like oh my gosh like I've just like had surgery taken narcotics like done all these things so um I remember very clearly sitting in the ER and the doctor left and my husband was not in with me because they don't let people in the ER this is in 2019 so it wasn't a COVID thing quite yet but they brought him back and I had said to him I'm pregnant and then the next thing that I said was and something's wrong with this pregnancy and he just looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? And I just said, like, I don't know. I just have this feeling. And uh, that was pretty much the feeling that I had in that entire pregnancy. But there was no, uh, like, medical evidence to support that. So it was like, everything looks fine. You're fine. Like, yes, you were exposed, but we're not seeing anything here. And then when I was just over eight months pregnant, I, I found out that my pregnancy was unviable. And so... I was induced and, um, you know, paired with the trauma was also the trauma of losing my baby. And so, you know, so sorry. Yeah, it's a lot. And so that's, uh, the first story. So I can start with that one. That delivery. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, I was induced and, um, I was in labor for 48 hours, which is a really, really long time. And so even just that induction was really physically and emotionally taxing yes. and just kind of feeling like no one really knew what to do or, or do with me or, or say to me. And I just remember thinking like from that point that it was a loss and throughout the really traumatic delivery, which I'll get into and, and everything that happened in the years to follow, I just felt like I'm a, I'm a therapist, I'm a healthcare provider, and I worked in every system, the hospital system, community mental health clinic, private practice. And if I feel so lost, then that means that all of these people who don't have my background are feeling this way and my husband's in healthcare yes. too and so we were just like what is happening yes. and so you know an just remember such an important point because I don't think people yeah I remember feeling very similarly especially in postpartum yeah. like yeah. I know what this is and I still feel like I'm so messed yeah. up and have no idea where to turn yeah it was really um an experience that I like if someone would have said to me you will feel these things or you will have like these mental health experiences, I would have said never, like there's nothing that would take me out of work for so long. I would have never believed it. And I just, I couldn't have imagined what that experience would be like. No. And even just, just like talking about a little bit about the trauma of a stillbirth, which, which is a form of birth trauma too, that often yes, isn't is. as talked about yep. is like, nobody prepared me for that. Like no one said like, you might want pictures or like maybe bring some items to dress your baby or, or bring a book to read to your baby. It was just like in the midst of this crisis. And then, it, and it's time that you can't get back, you know, mm -hmm. and even just like in the way that the healthcare system is set up, like people not doing chart review and coming in and congratulating me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm being into, I'm, I'm just like wanting this to be over as quickly as possible. And so, you know, I, I make it through the delivery and my doctor was really fantastic, I have to say. And I, I stay, I've stayed with the same doctor in all of my pregnancies to follow. Um, very young and new doctor at the time. But what was really key was that uh, he listened and he was receptive to feedback. So when I said things like, hey, this is not helpful or, hey, here's like what we should be doing when people experience this, it wasn't like, no. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Here's what we're going to do to improve the system. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I made it through the induction. I delivered the actual like active labor part was pretty quick for me. It was only a, I, I pushed one time. 
And uh, I felt really supported in that moment. My doctor was very compassionate of like, I'm going to ask you to, to push and it's going to be really hard, you know, just very gentle. And, um, you know, when you have a stillbirth, they say you can spend as much time as you want with your baby, which is usually a really important grief process. Um, and so I remember being handed her, we had a girl, her name is Addison. And then I remember just like sitting there and like, you go through this like birth process, which is just an experience in and of itself. And then I'm holding her and I, I had an epidural, so I couldn't feel anything. And my legs were still propped up in the hospital bed. And I remember I had asked my husband to grab uh, like a water bottle that was like somewhere in the bed. And when he did, my legs moved and he, he said, just blood came pouring out of me. And this is a little graphic. So if you want me to, okay. We do graphic here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So blood just came pouring out of me and I couldn't see anything at that point. I couldn't feel anything. And just the look of like pure horror on his face was like, oh my God, I've never seen so much blood. Something is wrong. And I, I was so naive. It was my first delivery. I was like, oh no, like that's just like the afterbirth birth is messy. Like it's bloody. And he looked at me and he said, no. And he just ran out of the, like, he just left, he ran out of the room. And then a nurse came in and she said, oh my God, like page the doctor. And then like three or four people came flooding in. The doctor came in and it was very quickly of like, you're hemorrhaging. I have to take you into emergency surgery. And so what they did, so my baby was taken from me. I was robbed of that time. And they pulled all of the cords from the bed. It was wheeled out. I remember my husband kissing me goodbye. And then I proceeded to have two emergency surgeries, both of which I was cognizant for, because in order to um, anesthetize me, they would have had to put me in a medically induced coma. And they were scared that I wouldn't survive that. And so I remained completely aware (laughs) of what was happening in that moment. And I I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like my baby died. I'm probably going to die. And just like trying to survive that moment in any way that I could and just hearing everything that people were saying, like she's bleeding out. We, we can't find that. I had to have a massive transfusion protocol. So I had 16 blood transfusions. They were looking to see if there was any, um, I hate this medical term, but I don't know a better word for it. Retained product, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is the worst medical term, but they were looking to see like, was there anything left from delivery? And then they realized that it was DIC. And so, you know, I remember hearing everything, like we can't find the ports for it to give the blood transfusions because they had to do four ports in me. And I remember them screaming, she's bleeding out. And I remember them saying like, we're going to have to do the hysterectomy. And um, I just remember everything. And I remember at, at one point, because of all the fluids they were pumping me with, I got really swollen. And so my wedding rings got stuck on my finger and they were like very concerned about this. And they were like, oh, and they had, uh, they strapped me in. So I was, I felt like I was in a straight jacket, which was like so unnerving for me, especially because I was paralyzed and I couldn't move from the, you know, like the waist down. And I remember like this one nurse was like, oh my gosh, like your rings. And I just looked at her, I was like, cut the fucking ring off. Like, I don't care. You think I care about a ring right now? And they were going on and on. I was like, cut the ring off or unstrap me and I will take it off for you. And they were just like, no, and we don't want to cut it. And I was like, just unstrap me for two minutes. And I did. And I, and I got the ring off. And I, I remember they're like, what's your husband's name? And I said, his name is Daniel. And they're like, well, we'll go give your rings to Daniel. I don't know why that's a very vivid memory for me of just like 
Because the juxtaposition of you dying and then being so worried about, and you literally having to take your own wedding rings off when you're yeah. dying is like, yeah. I have like the like goosebumps and also I'm kind of just like a little like disgusted for you that it was like such yeah. a, a big to do in anyway. I'm just having yeah. a reaction to that. So I understand yeah. why you have that like specific memory of that because it doesn't yeah. match the circumstances. It was so out of place. I actually like in the, um, in my delivery that I just had, I, I talked about that memory with my doctor of like, I purposely didn't wear any jewelry, but <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I was like before I went to the hospital, like everything is coming off of me. But um, I, uh, I just was like, who cares? Like in these like emergent like instances and just like how traumatic for my husband. And for me, part of my, like trauma processing was like, I wanted to know what it was like for every person. I wanted to know what people were thinking, saying, doing, feeling. I was like, tell me everything. I, I, I interviewed every single person repetitively. Yep. And um, one of the things was like, for him was, so his version is, you know, it'd actually be so interesting for you to, to interview like the part, like do a partner series. Oh yeah. But um, I, he, in his memory, he ran after me, which I don't remember screaming, like, is she going to die? Is she going to die? And the doctor said, I don't know. I'll do everything I can. And then of course they, not of course, they took him back to the room where my blood was all over the floor. And, and something I forgot too, is before they wheeled me into surgery at that point, I, when they were moving my legs, I did see all the blood. So I did have this image of just blood everywhere, which is important because I can no longer look at blood that has become such a, a trauma trigger yeah. for me, but they put him back in this room and he was like, I was just standing in this room and your blood was everywhere and you were in surgery and they're handing me your rings telling me like, they don't know what's going to happen to you. So, um, you know, then I, when they realized it was DIC, they did the massive transfusion protocol with the, and then they transferred me to um, another hospital on the same campus. So it was like through, luckily, these under, underground tunnels. And then I had an embolization to, to stop the bleeding. I'm sorry, you were transferred through underground tunnels. that is like kind of that's like weirdly badass like you were just like (laughs) underneath the the ground getting transferred it's crazy they have that wow yeah yeah so I was transferred and they were doing the uterine artery embolization UA that's what it's called and uh that one so in that first delivery aside from the rings actually did feel pretty supported like people were rubbing my arms they were checking in with me it was they were more trauma-informed. And we can, we can also maybe take with us that, like, I know that providers do yeah. get traumatized in those situations and they really, yeah. like, zoom in on something yeah. that's, like, maybe not important because that's what their brain, yeah. like, has to do. So has we can, to do. We can say yeah. that maybe the nurse, that's what was happening for the yeah. nurses, that they were just like, oh, I can take care of this thing and I'm worried about this one thing because yeah. I can't. Yeah figure anything else out basically, which is no one's yeah. fault. Yeah. And, and an important distinction too is the hospital that I delivered at is um, a women's hospital. So, you know, they um, are more equipped to deal with this. Like right? it's yes. like one of the top delivery hospitals in the country. Yep. And so um, when I was transferred, I was transferred to the general hospital. And so um, I could really see the difference, even like at the women's hospital, like it wasn't super trauma informed. But when I was transferred, I could really see the difference. So I had just delivered my dead baby. I had just had 
that first surgery, oh, they did a DNC in that first surgery. And I had the the blood transfusions and I'm being told, oh, you might die. And, you know, you might be infertile and I have not yet had a living child. So like my mind is just reeling and they transfer me and they put me on the table. They also choose not to anesthetize me for this one. And they just leave, they leave, they leave me alone in the room. <laughs> and I remember like screaming like, hello, is anyone there? Oh and God. so they come like, and I can't move because they keep me paralyzed and they come running and they're like, oh, cause this is two in the morning. They're like, well, we're waiting for the on-call doctor to come. And I'm like, can someone sit with, stay here with me? Like just so alone and like needing to be taken care of and not wanting to be alone. And they were just like, I remember like cracking jokes and laughing. I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like this is so isolating. And I remember feeling so traumatized. Like I remember saying to myself, like you are being so traumatized right now. Like just do whatever you can to survive. And the doctor comes in and is literally like, um, if we can't stop this, you're just going to have the hysterectomy sign this paper. And that was it. He did the surgery. I heard, they do it with in radiology. They do it with like those big machines over so yeah. you can hear the clicking and you see everything and it took a few hours. And then he just looked at me and said, I think I was able to stop the bleeding. Don't move your right leg for three hours. And then that was it. I never saw him again. <laughs> and I was transferred to the ICU. And then, um, you know, at that point, reunited with my family but at the ICU like the nurses were like we don't know anything like from the waist down and they were trying to give me Advil which is a big no-no after you bled and I just remember thinking like if I fall asleep especially because I had been awake and so alert like this is why I have such vivid memories I remember so much I remember thinking if I fall asleep I will die these people will kill me they will miss something and so that's where my sleep problems really started I remember like asking family to watch the monitor so that I could close my eyes for 10 minutes and like trust that I would be okay. Yeah. That's horrific. Yeah. Care. Like horrific. Leaving you alone on a table yeah. paralyzed. Yeah. After, yeah. after being in DIC. Yeah. I mean, it was just so egregious. And then um, I was in the ICU, I think for like a day or two, I wasn't in there very long. And then I was transferred back to the women's hospital on the acute unit, which is not a great <laughs> um, either. It's, it's, uh, you know, and I just, I, and no one was like talking about like the baby. And I remember just, kept, I remember I kept saying like, where's the baby? Like I need to spend time with her. And so, you know, it was just like a, a loss of so much at that point, like so even much. being able to like mourn, you yeah. know, in the way that I needed to and wanted to. And so I did get to spend time with her, but it was so delayed. So, yeah, that's so hard. Yeah. What an awful, like yeah. thousand layers on top of the layer of losing Addison. Like yeah. that is just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was, just like pretty much the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. Yeah. And this was uh, March of 2020. So I was in the hospital, I think for like a week, week and a half. Casual, casual, <laughs> just like yeah. side note, this was during yeah. the pandemic starting. So okay. I, uh, I discharged and the next day was a stay at home order. And that really impacted my postpartum care because everything went virtual. I, I didn't yeah. have an in-person visit until six months later. And I got an infection from the hospital. I mean, it was just like, never thing ending after thing after, yeah never ending thing after thing after thing and um 
you know, so that was kind of the first experience. And, um, you know, it really changed everything about my life. It changed my perspective on things. It changed every relationship that I've had. I decided after that, I took nine months off of work because I was like, there's just no way I could go and be someone's therapist. And I knew that. But I knew that when I went back, I, I wanted to specialize in this because there's not many people who, who do it. And what I have found is that even in the specialty, which is niche of, you know, perinatal and reproductive mental health, there's not a lot of people who do birth trauma and there's not a lot of people who do loss or infertility. And I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to, to give the care that I, that I wanted so badly. And it took me so long to find a therapist who specialized. (laughs) And I would go to great therapists. Like they, they were great therapists. They're people that I really liked, but they didn't understand the loss pieces, which were the most important, the loss and the trauma pieces, which were the most important pieces for me. And they would say things to me like, well, you'll get pregnant again, or like, just be excited. I just kept thinking, no, like, that's not the thing to say. And so I, um, when I did go back, that's, I shifted and that's like 95% of what I do. And I have a small group practice where really we are like known in San Diego and really in California as like loss and trauma and infertility. And I also wrote a letter to the CEO of the hospital about my experience, just saying like, here is what this was like and here are all the recommendations I have. And so I said things like, uh, there's so much and so much I didn't even share with you, but really from start to finish of that uh, delivery, when I checked into the hospital, knowing that my baby was dead, knowing that it was a stillbirth, they sat me in the waiting room, the general waiting room with all the pregnant women who are excited. There's balloons, there's teddy bears, there's people cheering. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you need to be sneaking people in like a different Literally. way yeah. or have a different waiting room. Yeah. Um, they have you on the same floor, which, you know, I, I, it's like there is one postpartum floor, like I understand that. But they did put me, my husband requested that I be removed far away. So they did put me at the end of the hall and they did put them like a, like they have like a sticker on the door that's like, oh, like this is a loss. Um, they obviously had my family waiting in that same waiting room. So my family, they were like, we were literally wondering if you were going to live. And like every five minutes, people are cheering. Yeah. So I was like, you need separate waiting rooms for the family. They, you know, had Daniel waiting in the room where my blood was. I was like, stick him in any other area. Like mm-hmm. that's not appropriate. No. And um, and then when they wheeled me out, they wheeled me out through the front and I'm being wheeled out next to women holding babies. And so that was really traumatic too. And so I, I wrote all of these things and um, I had a really good, uh, the CEO forwarded it to like one of their higher ups. And I had a really good experience with this woman who's become a friend. And basically she sat on my email for a few weeks and then she emailed me and she said, I sat on your email for a couple of weeks because I read it every day and I wanted to imagine like what it would feel like to be you. Yeah. How impactful is that? Yeah. And she said, I imagine I would feel just the same. And so through that, she like worked with me to say like, here's like what we're doing with your feedback. And so that was a really reparative experience for me. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Even just for you That's to be able to write that <laughs> yeah. and, to, and to be able to yeah. advocate for those things for the people that are going to come after you too. Yeah. And I, when I get feedback, I always try to come from the place of like, you know, 
we do the best that we can. And sometimes the best isn't good enough. So it wasn't like, screw you guys. It was, here's what was so wonderful. And here's where we can do better. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a really positive experience. And, you know, then thereafter, I just had a really rough time. I had secondary infertility from all of the procedures. So the procedures that saved my life caused infertility and recurrent loss. And so I had pretty severe Asherman syndrome. So it was really just years of loss and treatments and diagnostics. And so I had two miscarriages after that, one of which required a DNC. Um, I went through two, uh, three rounds of IVF retrieval. I never did a transfer because they were, they were, first of all, I, I couldn't get enough like eggs and embryos. So I was trying to, to bank and store. And there were also questions about whether or not I should or could, could or should carry, um, just given the risks. And um, so it was just, you know, just year after year is just never ending is what it felt like. And um I had the the last loss in June of last year. I had the DNC and we were going to do one more round of IVF. And then we were, my husband and I were so burnt out. So we just decided to take that money and take a really nice trip. Yes. <laughs> and I can remember talking to my doctor and my doctor said, you know, like, you know, breaks are okay too. Like just take a few breaks, just take a few months off, just yeah. take some breaks. And, you know, um, talked about the uh, increased fertility that can come after a DNC. And, you know, then I got pregnant and that's the baby that I just had and she's alive and, and well, but it was uh, another really traumatic delivery and another really, really high risk pregnancy. And I think like I wanted so badly to have a, a, like a do over, yes. but <laughs> that was not, was not the case. enjoyed this episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button and please leave us a review so that other people can find this podcast and hopefully get the support and the validation that they're looking for 